0: hello and welcome to the sunspace speaking podcast this is chris shelton your host thank you very much for inviting me into your home again this week i'm very happy to be here and as you can see i am joined by guest river wood
1: hi river hi chris how are you today i'm good how are you I'm finest frog fur. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent.
0: All right. Well, I have invited River onto my show because um, there is a story to be told about um, your upbringing, your association with, and escape from or leaving a group that is very cultish very unique, uh, in its structure and its circumstance, not something I've, I quite with the anatomy that I've quite run into before, which I was fascinated by this group is known by many names, including, uh, maybe you might've seen stories about this out there. If you've seen a group referenced as two by twos river, what other titles or names for this group could people run into out there?
1: Um, Well, when I was growing up in it, we were told that we didn't actually have a name because like, that was what worldly churches did. Like all those, all those like 30 other worldly churches we passed on the way to ours. um, You know, they had names and that was, that made them uh, of the world and of, of you know other and we weren't like that cuz supposedly our group went all the way back to Jesus and the disciples on the shores of Galilee and stuff and Jesus didn't give his ministry a name so we shouldn't either ah <laughs> um, okay okay among ourselves like you still need some kind of of thing to refer to yourselves and others like you and so um words that would be used would be like the friends right? Kind of with a capital F, you know, our, our friends over in this place or our friends over in that place. And, and it does not mean friend in the normal sense of the word that most of us take it to mean like, you know, some friend, Mm -hmm, (laughs) but mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's with a capital F and it's us, it's our group. We are, are the friends. Um, another way is they'll call it the truth kind of with a capital T, because it's obviously not true, but uh, they call it the truth. And they'll use this in like, well, how long have you been in the truth? Or when did you meet the truth? Or how long has your family been in the truth? Like, for example, I'm fourth generation in this in this group. Um, I thought I was third, but I checked in with my mom and like, nope, there's one more generation back there. So
0: wow. interesting yeah this is an old group this goes back
1: to what to the 1800s in ireland 1890 something ish yeah i i don't like i don't memorize all the dates and years and stuff but like yeah uh late 19th century and then i think they came to uh the west coast of the u.s sometime and sometime around the turn of the 20th century
0: okay um and what's yeah. the, how would you describe to somebody who's not familiar with this, obviously like my audience, right? How would you describe what this group is as a religious entity? What, what makes them a religious entity and how do they conduct themselves religiously? What, what's it about?
1: Well, I, I I guess the okay so that the idea that we were sold grow, growing up um, was that this was like the original Jesus disciples was was what started this. Mm-hmm. We didn't know about the founders that came from Ireland. We weren't taught about them. They mm-hmm. were they were swept under the rug when people would talk about them. Like um, th- mostly, you would get denial. Right. Like, oh, that's not that's not true or we don't know anything about that. And that didn't really change until uh, late 80s, early 90s. And and um, some folks from this church, I believe in Australia, went and started digging around and looking into old newspapers and stuff like that. And and um, they wrote a book and it's called The Secret Sect. And uh, this book went through my family at the time, sometime in the late or early nineties, I want to say. And when it went through my house, I read it I was 11, 12, 13 years old, some, something like that at the time. And I'm like, wow, this sounds really familiar. <laughs> Cause the thing is, is there's no, in this church, there's no formal documentation mm-hmm. of any kind. There's no website, there's no written charter, there's no paperwork, except for a few bits of things here and there that various leaders in the group have taken upon themselves to do for necessary legal purposes in whatever countries they reside in for example they wanted members to be able to uh, be conscientious objectors in a draft Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and you have to be some kind of like official religion in order to be a conscientious objector Um, so they had to file some amount of paperwork and give it a name which that's another name that it That's a name that it was filed under legally for a time was Christian Conventions of America. Um, Hmm. Oh, and that reminds me, other names too. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) um, Black Stockings was a name they used to have. And it's kind of, it's fallen out of favor because this is no longer a thing. But there was a time when Black Stockings for women were like all the rage. I don't know when this was, 20s, 30s, 40s, something like that and uh it pers- it became a name attributed to this group because this particular uh, fashion trend persisted far longer in this group than it did anywhere else um, and it turns out it was one of the you know was some of the leaders that like Liked this thing, and so they promoted it as godly.
0: <laughs> oh, of course they did. Of course they did. Well, you've just hit on something with this that I think is really important for the audience to get an underlying boldface here. There's nothing in writing. They have uh I understand, I wanted to clarify this: that they do use the King James Version of the Bible as their sort of source material, but. It's the speaking, the oral tradition, the the fact that the ministers or the 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 holy men of this group go around. There, it's it's a it's a in the tradition of what are called itinerant ministers. They're walking, they go around, they're not tied down to a church or a building or even a home. They're constantly no nomading around. Did do I did I get that right? Is that how that is?
1: Yes, basically that is the case. Um the preachers are called workers and they basically it's volunteer voluntary. They will volunteer to the leadership to go out in ministry. <clears throat> They're expected to sell all of their worldly possessions and uh give the money into the work. <laughs> and then they they go uh join up with another more senior worker called the companion, and it's Either two men or two women, single and and uh, theoretically celibate, but of course they're about as celibate as celibate Catholic priests, right? In in a lot of cases. Um, and then yeah, they do travel around and uh, stay with people in the church, um, stay in their houses, and typically get fed by people in the in the church. That you know the friends. Basically, it's the friends of the workers is how you refer to the different um, people in the group.
0: How interesting because even up to now in the internet age, these are not people with social media accounts, not people who are being tracked, or even do they even have bank accounts?
1: Oh, yeah, they absolutely.
0: do. Okay, absolutely. so they do exist in the world.
1: Yeah, I mean, they, they exist in the world, and people give money, and the money's got to go somewhere, and the right. money you know, often money is given to the to the senior worker of a pair, whoever's in charge of an area. And then it kind of filters up from there. Some of them skim off and put it in some retirement accounts. And, and um, but a lot of it makes it up to people who are not workers, but in the church and have like businesses or do stuff with properties or whatever. And of course people will leave their entire estates to the church. So there have to be structures in place to handle these financial issues but no one actually knows where where it goes or where it is or any of that it's, there's no financial transparency whatsoever to the members of the group
0: right and they had to be able to get conscientious objector status which means they had to get official religious status which means that they're probably at this point 501c3 nonprofit charitable organization or no
1: no there is no to my knowledge okay i I, this is my understanding and i could be mistaken but there is no official paperwork on file with the irs for a 501c3 basically everything is done underground um it's all like pretty much cash there's no um you know the workers have no health insurance they have no they're not paying into medicaid or uh any of that stuff they're they basically don't exist as far as the, you know, they might have social security numbers, but nothing they do is being reported and no taxes are being paid on any of this. There's zero taxes going to the government from this group.
0: Okay. okay. It's not,
1: it's not tracked in the way that 501c3s have to track. Um, and, and for that matter, churches are, um, unique among the nonprofits for not having to actually make public their books. That's right. Is, that's right. Um, kind of always a thing.
0: <laughs> well, see, and that's that's what makes me wonder at the highest levels if there isn't something there, but we wouldn't know, would we? And that's kind of the problem. Churches in, in the United States of America are are um, automatically granted tax exempt status. They don't even have to file for it if they are a recognized religion or church. But I'm thinking at that crossroads point of the conscientious projector thing, that's might've when they, you know, but who knows, this is all just conjectural. I have no idea, but the structure of this thing, regardless of any paperwork sitting in some file cabinet somewhere, there is no structure. There's, there's a structure, but it's all verbal it's all orally done. Is that is, right? I mean, these guys go around and preach the gospel in people's homes. Do they call it that? How do they even refer to that? Just the truth. They, they spread the truth or the word.
1: Um, I'm trying to sort that out. That feels like several questions.
0: <laughs> I know I kind of landed <laughs> at that last one of, well, what is it these ministers are actually running around doing? You said they go into people's homes and they, and they preach and and apparently the preaching is the holy event. That it's that not is, the reading, it's the preaching.
1: That is basically it. Yes. Um uh, mm-hmm. they uh I I'm at a loss for the term right now, but um it is claimed that the workers speak directly for God, yeah. essentially. That is what we were led to believe growing up, is you know whatever a worker tells you, you are expected to go along with whatever a worker tells you, the Bible says you're expected to go along with. And when two different workers tell you two different things about the same verse, like, yeah, you get a little messed up there. And then you try to pin each one of them down on something. And then uh, you can't pin anybody down on anything. There's no, there's nothing written. And that's, it's really very convenient because they can kind of change things, um, as, as they will. And there's not, It's just then it's all a big game of he said, she said. It's very abusive. Um, but even when people write things down, like I've followed, for example, the Lloyd Evans channel for quite a while. Mm -hmm. And it's like with Jehovah's Witnesses, you can see all the way through, like all they publish everything, and you can tell, like, oh, this was their policy at this point, and then then they change it. Mm -hmm. And that's not enough to get people out of it.
0: <laughs> oh, no, 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 not at all. Of course not. Um, because changes is, is inevitable and people will roll with those changes because cognitive dissonance is a beautiful thing. Um, I guess what I'm wondering is now maybe kind of going in the direction of your story and your experience with this because it's an interesting and bizarre framework. It's unique. I mean, it's not like there's a lot of groups out there who are set up this way. And who can literally reinterpret their own history anytime they want, like denying that it has an Irish beginning. Like that's that's an established historical fact. Oh, no, no, that's not that's not true at all, because they don't think that way about how they keep track of their own history. It's it's a it's a kind of a weird and fascinating thing, isn't it?
1: Well, I can, I mean, I can tell you what my own father's reaction was. Like when, mm. when I read that book, I was telling you about, and it's like, is this true? Oh yeah. Well, my mom knew William Irvin, the, the founder. And it's like, okay, why didn't you tell me this? Like, why have you let me be lied to all my life about this? And it's like, well, you know, it doesn't matter so much. What matters is the, you know, the truth of what Irvin did or what he started. And we, we kind of shunt him off to the side. And there's been various reasons given why he was shunted off to the side. But I think the most important was toward the end of his life, he started to fancy himself a prophet and he wrote some prophecies and none of them came true. And so that's automatically how you tell a false prophet. Right. And you can't have a false prophet be the founder of your religion. So.
0: Oh. Wow. Uh, well, it all makes sense all makes sense well let's get to your part of this because um because it's just so like huh how where did you you fourth generations you're born into this where were you born where how did your how did you how were you what was the normal you were raised with let me ask let me put it that way
1: the normal i was raised with uh yeah so i was born in 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 central california well kind of Bay Area. and grew up in Southern California. And um, basically, this was my whole life. Uh, We had meetings three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, and Wednesday evening. And so between and none of these were, unless they were at our house, they were usually at least half an hour away. So you've got, you know, prep time to get ready and get cleaned up and spiffed up and get ready to go and drive to church, however far away. And when you're a little kid, this, this is uh, pretty much making up all your life. Um,
0: Did you, did you go to school? I mean, you had public school education or was it a private thing or how did, uh, like three times a week is, is not your entire life. So what else was going on?
1: Right. Yeah. So school. Um, Yeah. I didn't start, well, I started school in kindergarten, public school. Mm -hmm. Um, There was no preschool or any of that. Uh, So like I probably didn't, I wasn't very socialized, very well socialized. Mm. Um, But yeah, I did go to public schools and a lot of folks in this group do um, send their kids to public school, which is good, which is, I came to find out, which is really good. I was prejudiced against public schools, but that was really for the best. Mm. Um, so yeah, that, and then, you know, of course, growing up, then it's, then it's school and church three times a week and then between eating and sleeping and that's it. That's your life. Got it. Um,
0: and what did and church it, consist of for you as a kid? What, what, what happened at it?
1: Uh, well, each one of these is a little different. Oh, okay. Um, okay. and I'll try to give a quick, a quick sketch. Yeah. Um, the Sunday morning meeting is basically a, the worship service that's held in the living room of one of the members of the church. And mm-hmm. the owner of the house is the elder. Um, there have been some women elders in recent years. Um, mm-hmm. If they are the owner of the house and they're single, that's okay. Um, but usually it's the male of the home is the is the elder. And this is sort of assumed. It's very, very uh, sexist religion. Mm-hmm. Um so you, everybody files into this living room Sunday morning, and ahead of the appropriate time, and sits there and basically stares at the floor until the meeting begins. And then the elder uh, will suggest a couple of hymns to sing, and everyone sings them a cappella, basically no no music or anything like that, no instruments. Um, then you have a time for people to uh, offer up whatever prayers, and then more hymns, and then what's called testimonies which people will stand up and share whatever's on their whatever's on their mind or whatever some some bible passage some story and whatever the lesson they feel it has for their life in this in this particular week and and a lot of people just kind of phone it in um Mm. and some people get really emotional at times and it's uh it's it's not exciting um and then there's then there's more hymns and then there's like the the little communion ritual which um they call the emblems typically but i guess in places they call it communion uh usually like wonder bread and grape juice because <laughs> um in the in the us in this group anyway uh alcohol is is uh, frowned upon so every every event you ever go to is a dry event it's very um very dry. <laughs>
0: wow. So even the transmogrification or whatever word they, that transmutation thing is not good enough. It's, Oh no, that's alcohol that no, 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 no. We're not going to use that as the vessel. How interesting, yeah. how interesting. Right.
1: Yeah. It's very, yeah, very teetotaling, uh, abstinence based, uh, kind of, kind of religion. Um, so that's the Sunday morning thing give or take a few minor variations here or there True. um the sunday afternoon thing is what they call gospel meeting and uh this is typically held in a, like a rented hall somewhere in a nearby town like a school auditorium for example
0: oh would, would that many people show up that you'd have like hundreds? yeah because of people? that
1: would be people coming from further around
0: or okay. groups like
1: okay. uh there, there's there'd be multiple home churches around you know A metro area or whatever and then they come together for one of these bigger meetings and that's where you have the workers in that particular field uh will will give sermons and there'll be some hymns and sometimes there will be a piano to accompany them in this uh in this case and basically it's just the workers preaching their message theoretically this is supposed to bring new people into the church um but that hasn't happened very much in the last several decades, uh, thanks to like, you know, so much information being out there about them and people can Google them very easily and be like, uh, no thanks. <laughs> oh no, of course.
0: Absolutely. You mentioned the field that the that the the workers, the the minister people, um have a field, have an area. Is that is that the term that's used within the church for that? Is this is this is this uh, workers field.
1: That's correct. Yes.
0: In, in, and it, uh, it's only interesting me because in Scientology, we would use that terminology.
1: <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. The, when you fun.
0: like the Denver field is the area around the church of Scientology of Denver that it's responsible for, which means the entire state of Colorado, uh, and Wyoming and, uh, most of Kansas and a lot of Montana, uh, but that's the church's field. That's its area of reach and sphere of responsibility is how it's used in Scientology. So I just heard that word and thought, oh, that's that's an interesting uh, small parallel.
1: Well, for yeah. So for in our group, a field was whatever region one pair of workers was responsible for. Got and right. it might have it will have a number of meetings within it home home church groups right um and then those home church groups will get together for the gospel meetings on on um sunday afternoons and sometimes these are on uh, like friday nights or saturday nights too if if the workers in question are particularly concerned about too much sin in their uh in their fields um uh, but then uh in charge of a number of fields across a larger region for example. Um, uh california is part of a region with um, i want to say nevada and arizona and hawaii or whatever so it consists of all the fields in that region and at the top of that will be one single always male overseer is what he's called
0: overseer oh there's nothing oh. ominous about that word Okay. The overseer <laughs> yeah of course uh, yeah. I mean w- w- reading about this group uh, without having any dogma or doctrine to to find in writing is it creates a mental picture for me of people like the Amish, like primitive people living in a primitive way. And I guess it's not that way if y'all were, you know, had a southern California congregation. It's not like that's farmland or Amish territory. It's you're talking about the middle of southern California. So, modern trappings but a very old school style meeting and oral tradition,
1: I guess. Am I am I getting this right? You could can- Maybe maybe you could consider it to be like kind of like the illegitimate offspring of um, the Amish and like more modern day evangelicals. Yeah. Or Pentecostals. Although we didn't do the speaking in tongues thing, which um, I always found that weird. But um, yeah. And the snake I I can definitely do without. Yeah. But like the, 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 the dress codes and the misogyny and all of that is very, very like it's not quite Amish um
0: but it's there
1: it's it's it gets there like there's always this talk about modest dress like women are told not to cut their hair and they always have to wear it up in buns and cuz you know loose hair is a distraction or uh sin or something like that it depends on who you ask honestly um but that's kind of one of the rules uh no makeup no jewelry uh, no pants Although, like, people are beginning to bend these rules because they're like, well, what's your biblical justification for this? And they're actually standing up to the workers and they're they're being like, put this stuff in writing. We dare you. you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly.
0: I was going to say, where's this dress code written? I guess the workers just come <laughs> along and frown at you and you're supposed to get the idea that you're
1: that you're not. Oh, they will call you out publicly. Oh, they'll just they'll just straight up. You they stop wearing the pants. Them. Yeah, they will straight up preach it in the gospel meetings or if they're at any other kind of gathering and they see something they don't like, they will they will stand up and they will admonish the whole room about that particular uh, unacceptable behavior.
0: Okay, so has this engendered then a rather full of themselves, egotistical power trip attitude?
1: Oh, absolutely. It does. Yeah.
0: Yeah, And one thing
1: I didn't mention yet is that both of my parents had been workers before they got married and had kids
0: okay so they had that backstory uh that they were bringing
1: in i'm a a preacher's kid yeah my dad did that for 16 years and my mom for three
0: okay where they were itinerant running around house to house and this is not just visiting a house aren't they like staying there Uh uh-huh yeah
1: so because they they don't have their own place right well okay so i generally speaking that is the case in a field where there are enough friends to stay with they will stay with friends who have you know and this depends on people having means to provide for them too like um it just typically works out that the workers will spend more time at the homes of people with more money and more space and more time right right um but for example in foreign missions um where there aren't so many people yet They'll use funds from the, you know, from other areas to rent a place for the workers to stay and they'll just find some cheap place to stay. And and uh, they call it batch, a batch for bachelor.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay, Okay. so there's all kinds of little details to this that that emerge as you go into looking into how this whole thing operates and yet there's no manuals. There's no, like, how does somebody, I, I'm just, I'm just going to fire the questions as they come to me, as we're talking here, cause I'm finding this absolutely fascinating. How do, how does one rise to become a worker in the first place? It's not training. It's not like, well, I read the Bible 20 times or is it, how do you, how do you go about that?
1: Um well i guess the 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 first part's would be you have to what's called profess and mm-hmm. this is like you um you profess your intention to serve jesus to serve god to serve the well it's essentially to serve the workers since that's how it always works you know god's always out of the office but you can talk to middle management right, <laughs> right. <laughs> so but professing you can do you know, it's a it's a voluntary action that you, well, that's actually a lie. Um, it's supposedly a voluntary action mm. uh, where you stand up at some point in a meeting and you, you know, I'm professing now. And then that makes you responsible for uh, offering up prayers and testimonies in the Sunday morning meetings as well as the Wednesday night Bible study meetings. Okay. Uh, so that's sort of a step
0: in the direction of putting yourself on the path to becoming a worker.
1: Yeah. That's kind of like the first step. And then the next step would be baptism. And this typically, uh, is usually later in life, you know, some, it doesn't usually happen before someone's 16, 18, 20, something like that. Um, and I never, this never came up for me. I professed when I was 11 or 12 and I'll, I'll, Go into that story a little bit later. Um, but I never got to the baptism part because my family got kicked out of the church first. And that's a whole nother story too.
0: Ah, yes. And Uh, we will be getting to that uh soon because there is if we haven't, if it's not clear yet, viewers, right? I mean, the framework is here for a great deal of potential abuse and, uh, and the cover up of that abuse. And I'm suspecting that that's exactly where this is going to go, given the recent revelations about this group. So that all being said, um, let's go ahead and get to your story. And I think in the telling of that, we will explain the rest of these details. You grew up in this, you went to public school, um, this was your normal growing up, I suppose, was these meetings and these people coming around and and this kind of thing. How else was your life? Uh, do, do you see it looking back now? How else was it affected by and different because of this experience?
1: Um, well, like, so back then, anyway, mm-hmm. uh, there were pretty strict rules about engagement with the world. So mm-hmm. anyone who wasn't part of our group was the world and worldly things included stuff like television and movies and, and, uh, dancing and, um, TV. Well, I said TV, um,
0: anything entertaining, distracting, not, is it kind of a Protestant sort of view? Like the more suffering, the better in your life. Is that kind of where they're coming from with this?
1: Yeah. It's very, very kind of Calvinist. Like, yeah. Um, you, you should not have any pleasure in life because all, you know, any pleasure is Satan trying to tempt you away from our perfect way of doing things. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, so yeah, you're, you're taught to avoid all that. Well, what it does to you, oh, and I should point out, you're also definitely discouraged from having friends outside of our group. Right? Of course, um, So kids in this group tend to grow up very isolated, uh, from their peers. Like, it's worse for kids that are homeschooled in a lot of cases or, or private school, but even going to public school. And I went to, you know, large schools and large districts and had lots of other kids around the isolated in, in this way, like they had things to talk about that I had no clue. Right. You know, they'd be talking about, um, shows on tv or movies they saw like kids talked about star wars and whatnot. i had no idea of any of that right. Um, right. it's very alienating and isolating and you, you grow up feeling like just a, a total fish out of water
0: it's uh, such an unfortunate thing, and I just I, we know this already. I'm not going to be saying anything original here, but it's very, very infuriating to me, looking looking at the various ways that this manifests across different groups. Uh, most of them, that in my experience, especially in in the United States, of a Christian flavor, you know, various various flavors of this, that the children that the parents go all in on this stuff. And then the children are the ones who end up really suffering the most and your fourth generation. So your own parents were raised in this and their parents. So this was just as far as they were concerned, suffering and not a no, no enjoyment in life was just how it was just, this is just laid into them. This is how it is. And this is, this is the righteous way to live
1: that's basically it like Jesus. i've had many conversations with my mother about about this and how much uh pain and trauma i went through like i don't know if you've looked into religious trauma syndrome oh yeah, uh, oh, yeah. but basically it's complex ptsd caused by religion essentially right. and yeah i i had this constant fear just paralyzing fear growing up because you know i was taught in church that um God helps the righteous with their problems. If you pray for help, like, and here I was, I was being bullied at school. I was being bullied at home. I was being bullied at church. Like everything, my life was just terror all the time. Like I never knew when there was another whipping coming or when I was going to get in trouble for something. Um, or when somebody so it was, phys- me.
0: So it was physical discipline at home then.
1: Oh yeah. Mm. Um my dad would use a belt on us, my mom yeah. would use a stick. Like it's um and this is very much encouraged in this uh in this group. Sorry, this is bouncing all over the place, but like um this is this is expected in the group is that children are to sit still and be quiet in the meetings and they're expected to sit still and be quiet with the adults like they don't do anything special no sunday school or daycare or anything for the kids from a very young age kids are expected to sit still be quiet through an entire hour or hour and a half long long service and they they do this by when the kids get noisy they take them outside and they hit them until they stop right um and that that comes that comes from the platform, from the workers. And my dad was one of those workers. And I remember growing up and hearing him tell tables full of people that exact same thing. And, and like, you didn't even have to wait till they were out of diapers as far as he was concerned. Jesus. Um, So this is how this discipline is enforced in the group. It's, it's literally child abuse.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Full on. And, and we are, you know, so many people's eyes were opened um, to this with shiny, happy people and seeing how the Gothards uh, and the um, Duggars, you know, represented this attitude. And it's an attitude in the same way that there is a misogyny that runs as a, as a constant thread through um, so many of these structures. So, too, does child abuse. And it's just straight up child abuse. There's no other word or way to describe it in a modern context. Children are straight up abused, and this is called normal, and this is called rearing children or raising up a child, uh, as Michael Pearl wrote about in his book, where he con- he compared this directly, as a, not an analogy, as a direct comparison to how you break a horse or break a donkey or, or, or a pet, is you beat on them Until they do what you tell them to do. And this is 1950 Skinner psychological conditioning and it will work, but (laughs) the long-term effects of it, you know, work in that you end up with a zombie human being as a child. And, and this is the desired product of this kind of thinking in this culture, that is manifest in two by twos as well as these other groups. And I, this is where my blood starts boiling is when um, innocent victims of this, children who never asked for this, never wanted this, and were never asked if they wanted to be part of this, are, are tortured until they shut up so that they go along with and conform with it until it becomes their version of normal, which is why I phrased my question that way to you earlier. Because it's just, this is normal for you and i find that absolutely horrifying that that's allowed to occur in modern society under any context including religion and that's my soapboxing on that so i'll step down now and let you carry on with your narrative sorry
1: <laughs> no absolutely great like it's it's good for people to hear the same things emphasized in different words too um mm-hmm. It, it, it is absolutely the case that it has lifelong effects. It does make the zombie children. It also makes zombie adults. That's right. Um, That's it right. messes you up. The long, long-term effects of PTSD include your brain actually shrinks, like physically shrinks. This stuff messes you up for your entire life. You can you can do some trauma recovery from it, and you can get yourself good coping mechanisms, and you can set yourself on a good track in life. But ultimately, it's still going to mess with you, and it's still the damage that is permanent and is never going to go away. Um, This has been studied up one side and down the other. You've heard of adverse childhood experiences, I'm sure the ACEs, the ACEs scores, Um, and we know that these kinds of abusive uh, things that happen in childhood lead to long term. Physical health effects, uh, heart disease, and 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 even uh, obesity and substance abuse and anxiety and depression and and um, all these things, like it's it's flat out harmful. And it's a it's
0: a created. This is the this is the tragedy of this. This is the thing that really gets me going. Is it's a created problem. None of this had to happen. A belief set and a group of fanatical morons create this environment and, sus- and then uh, pros- per- persecute children in it. And well, other people look at this and go freedom of religion. And I go, fuck you. It's a crime. That's yeah. what it is. And it's not yeah. a religion. And that's, that's, this is a, this is a manifestation of this. Again, I, I get really upset with the kids. Part of this grown ass adults. You can go make your own decisions as an adult. Children don't have that freedom. And raised in environments like
1: this, it's just, it's, it's horrifying. You're basically in a prison. Yeah. Like it's, you're, you're locked into a prison and you can't get out. There's no escape from it. Like there's no contacting child protective services either because that's of the world. Right. Like you're literally afraid to even try to go get help from anyone because you don't trust anyone. And everyone you think you can trust is already in your church and they're friends with your parents. Yeah, And yeah. they all, they all perpetuate the same cycle of child abuse. Exactly. And, and like, they also gaslight you into to thinking it's for your own good. Like when I was in my early twenties and I might have found myself, you know, having a family or whatever, I would have thought it was perfectly acceptable way to raise children mm. was, was to hit them. And I'm glad I learned different and I'm glad I didn't end up having kids to to harm another generation you know at Mm -hmm. least that cycle will end with me Uh, and
0: and and if there is something good coming out of this that is one of the things uh because it does need to end somebody has to say no somebody has to say stop and and it's best when it's the member themselves who kind of wakes up and goes holy shit this is just not okay you know
1: oh yeah Well, but, you know, like you pointed out with IBLP and with Michael Pearl and all that, this stuff is rampant across Christianity. Yes. And not all Christianity, hashtag not all Christians, right? But like, it's the majority
0: uh, it's uh, it's sad to say this and I and I think that I think people need a little bit of a wake-up call to this because we tiptoe around it sometimes we talk about freedom of religion and freedom of religion is absolutely essential as a human right do not get me wrong on that It's absolutely essential but that doesn't give you the right to abuse children in the name of those beliefs
1: Well there's this and I'd like to kind of dive maybe toward Uh, the subject of like uh, intersection between religious beliefs and civil law. Mm. Um, Go ahead. This is, this is really important because Mm. uh, my group, like all the, like all the other fundamentalist groups, this is a thing common to fundamentalists and evangelicals kind of as a category is that the Bible is the ultimate authority for everything. Everything about you need to run your life is in the Bible. And that is why so many of these groups are completely helpless, for example, to do anything about the issue of child sexual abuse, because there is absolutely nothing in the Bible about it, except that it's that,
0: okay under certain circumstances.
1: Well, I mean, if you if you look at the cultural context of like how old was old enough back in those days, yeah, we would consider that absolutely unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, and another example is the Bible says. Only one thing about rape in its entirety. And that is that if um if a rape occurs, the perpetrator is punished by being required to purchase the woman from her father, right? And she must marry him. Right. And this only counts if she is a virgin, one, and two, it's only rape if she screams. And this is the entirety of what the Bible says about rape. Right. So with these and the entirety of what the Bible says about raising children basically is don't spare the ride. Right. Exactly. And so you're you're dealing with a group of people who are using this particular book as an instruction manual. And it comes to us from thousands of years ago from primitives who didn't have microscopes or telescopes and didn't know anything about the world. That's
0: right. This,
1: That's right. this is the thing that has to be overcome. Like they're trying to fix this big this big sex abuse scandal, but they can't fix it. As long as they believe the Bible is is the greater authority than than the law, than the law of That's the right. country
0: or society around them or the culture in which they live, Correct. And this and this is why, at the end of the day, in talking to you about this, it becomes clear why this is an actual cultic group, even though there's no central leader telling everybody what to do directly it's all this verbal oral tradition through these workers but this culture is a self-perpetuating cult and because the activities of this group are so abusive and we're not talking about sunday meetings when we're talking about this i want you know this is going to get worse before it gets better because uh because this goes to darker places than we've even gone to yet but when you give this much power and authority and influence to a select number of people who consider themselves God's chosen elite, do not ever dare to be surprised later on when all the horror stories come out, because it's, this is just human nature. So that all being said, where does this go?
1: Uh... Many different directions. I uh,
0: understood. Sorry about this. If I'm if I'm giving you too much generalized direction here, what I'm specifically curious about is um, structurally, organizationally, right? This year, there was. I mean, we. i I'm understanding enough from what you've said about your childhood and upbringing that I get that you was a monster factory in a hellhole, and it was all under the guise of religious, you know, righteousness. And I get that. Are there any other aspects to your, you know, to your upbringing or your time growing up in this that set it apart or make it different enough that we should comment on it here in terms of this group and what it does?
1: I think, uh, I would tie into what I was starting to say earlier about, Mm -hmm. um, being isolated from the world around me.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, it just made me very, very different. And it, it, you it's very foreign to interact with other human beings
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and this is very dissociative too. I came to learn later
0: uh, are you referring here? Are you familiar with um like under attachment theory? we're we talking about like disorganized chaotic attachment?
1: Uh, I'm not I don't not I don't know enough about that to, no to comment on that. Um, what I would say is that maybe we can talk about sort of the mental control mm-hmm. aspects of it.
0: Sure. Go ahead. What, what, um, how were those laid in or what were the rules or strictures that, that put those in place?
1: So basically as a kid growing up in this group, this is, this is your entire life. This is your entire world. And you're told that this is the right way to do things. Everything is, we are doing things right. Um, and you're told to, you're you're, given implicit trust in the workers because your parents implicitly trust the workers and whatever the overseer for your region says is basically that's law, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, For example, back in, I don't know, my dad was what was called in the work uh, in the uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, uh, that some time period around there. And like it was decided, oh, well, the, the friends down in this area, too many of them have radios in their house. And so the overseer tells my dad, you go tell those people to get rid of their radios. And they're expected to obey.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, that's basically the level of, of authority and control that exists within this group is the overseer is considered to um, have all the authority. Right. And do the
0: workers come into a home then and see a radio and go, I'm telling you to get rid of this, or do they communicate it as the overseer has instructed me to ensure that no radios exist anywhere in the field? Sort of
1: thing. more like that, probably, and then some scripture on top of it.
0: Okay. Know? Okay. So it's kind of comes down that way as there is this sort of authority chain of command kind of thing that's recognized, but it's not really written down anywhere.
1: And basically they have, they have a, uh, I don't know if they really have a carrot so much as a stick. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they can take away your professing privileges temporarily. So for example, they can tell you not to take part in the meetings. Like you just, you can't stand up and give your testimony, um, until, until you repent of your sins and you get right. Um, mm. and, and, or they can do something more extreme, like if you're a person who has a meeting in your home, there's extra scrutiny on you. Um, for example, when I was a uh, early teenager, my parents had the well, we had the we had the Wednesday night Bible study meeting in our house, and um, there was a situation developing within the church where there was where there was talk about what to do about this issue of divorce and remarriage because this was frowned on if you got divorced if you got remarried they would kick you out or they would tell you you couldn't take part anymore or whatever um and my parents had made friends with enough people who had been divorced and remarried and heard people's stories and some of these stories were pretty like extreme mm. um in terms of spousal abuse in terms of spousal abuse yeah okay one couple that was kind of like an aunt and uncle to me um her her first husband had basically threatened to kill her and fully would have followed through with it and she bailed out and had to flee the country even and here the workers were telling her that because she was raised in the truth that she had to divorce her current husband who was awesome and go back and marry the asshole that threatened to kill her
0: you got to be kidding me with this crap!
1: Absolutely not!
0: Jesus Christ, man! I mean, even when common sense is staring you in the fucking face, no, you have to go back to your abuser. I mean, these—this is where this is where I was talking about a few weeks ago, where evil is created. This is how it happens: is yeah, absolutely is this rigidity of thinking, this inability to look at who's actually in front of you, but to see everything through this filter of Stone Age barbaricism. I mean, it's just so disgusting to me. I, I'm sorry, I just, when, when it comes to stuff like this, I really, this is what keeps me in this field is because it's just so horrible.
1: So these I, are orders that my parents would give people. I understand, like my, my, I do. My yeah. My dad would tell people these things and it wasn't until much later, you know much later in life that he starts listening to people tell their stories and realizing that he did bad things yeah. by telling people this. Yeah. And he started speaking up and he's like, you know what? We need to be okay with this. Let God sort it out. Like, you know, exactly. uh, some people need to be separated. This is just a fact. And this, you know, and he had to find his own Bible verses to justify his interpretation of it. Right. And, one time workers the workers in our field came to our house and they said, You need to stop saying this or we will take the meeting out of your house. And that's like, you know, that's a death knell <laughs> right there. Like No, I knell. get it. Yeah. Now, now you now you are under warning and everyone knows it. Right. And um so yeah, was- so participation
0: in this activity and is a social status point, which can be threatened and taken away. And that's how that's the, at least the first or the, 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 the primary way that control is exerted over the members is by denying or taking away these so-called privileges.
1: That, well, that is one method of control.
0: That's yeah. one. Yeah. I'm, I'm just yeah. sort of like thinking, well, how, what, you know, why would people go on this? Why would that be a thing? Oh, you're going to take the meeting away. Oh no. Right. But for them, that actually has great importance.
1: Well, yeah. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a status thing. Right. Um uh, it's there is there is a lot of uh, actual backstabbing over this kind of thing too is like who has the right. meetings and who doesn't and whose families are right with the workers and whose families are on the outs and yada yada like the yeah there is a big kind of uh, social status game that goes on and my parents had status from being former workers before right. and knowing a lot of people That's and right. so like that was that was definitely like Yep. No, the picture,
0: the, the the picture is coming more into focus here. It's kind of like those old Polaroids, right? It's it's coming more and more into focus here because as you talk more and more about this, and I knew that this was going to be how the conversation would go as as more and more details of this emerged. That you have this group of, quote unquote, godly people who are, in fact, acting exactly the opposite in almost every aspect of their life, you know, between child abuse and spousal abuse and uh, then backstabbing, gossip mongering, you know, status climbing, influence peddling. I mean, it's all there. It's right under the surface, I imagine, uh, in this group, the way you've described it.
1: Well, the belief system kind of encourages that mm. and, and the belief system, I was going to say that I, 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 I still think the primary method of control is the belief system itself. Mm-hmm. And that is the, the belief in the Bible as the word of God, like mm-hmm. the Bible is your authority. And this is really a foundational problem, not just for this group, but for all of the Christianity that takes the Bible as anything more than a collection of old stories right? is this is where it comes from. When you grow up in this system, when you grow up in this environment, this is everything to you and God is real and present for you. And you're told that God talks to you in your head. You pray at night or you pray whenever you're, you're telepathically talking to God. Like, you know, your words, your words that you're envisioning in your head somehow have a back channel, right? To, you know, an answering machine up in heaven somewhere. Right. (laughs) Are you, are you, I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. There's, there's more to this. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And that God talks back to you.
0: Okay. That's what I was going to ask. So, so there's your disassociation right there. There's the beginnings of it right there, right?
1: Yeah. Kind of, kind of but like it's that your the thoughts in your head are all, are supposedly god condemning you of your sin and so and you're also told that you you're not supposed to doubt doubting god is the worst thing you can do to god because god is up there and definitely real and definitely loves you and doubting him is the worst thing that you can do so you get trapped in this cycle in your brain of like what's going on I'm praying. Am I, am I righteous enough to deserve help to my or answers to my prayers? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe I need to try harder. Maybe I need to do more stuff. What's going on? And then you hear, you hear these little voices in your head, like, oh, well, you're messing up this and you're doing this and, and this is bad. And it's like, it gets very OCD like, and then like, And then you ask yourself, well, like, is this even really a thing I need to worry about? Oh, that's doubt. We can't go there. And boom, boom, boom. It's just like, it's this self-reinforcing, automatically perpetuating anxiety cycle that goes on in your head that keeps you basically paralyzed in fear and in this group. And this sounds crazy in the context of the modern world. Like if you... If you zoom out to the modern world and you look at what humans are and what we know about humans as evolved primates with technology far beyond our biology's ability to keep up, <laughs> all this stuff, that's a completely different picture of the world. But when you're when you're in this religious model, in this fundamentalist model, this is your entire worldview. Right. This is how you, everything you see is through this lens, like this, this lens of God is everywhere. Satan is everywhere. Every interaction is colored by this stuff. And everything you do is you're judging internally and beating yourself up internally by whether you're doing the right thing or not.
0: It will. Well, exactly. And I want to, I want to comment in light of recent comments I've made on my channel, uh, recent stuff we've been talking about regarding disassociation, disassociative identity disorder and other manifestations of disassociative phenomena because you don't have to have a full-blown disorder in order to experience a dissociative incident and if you are being, if this is being enforced on you from a young age that this is reality that this disassociative state of there's a voice in your head answering your prayers condemning you, telling you how awful and horrible you are but he loves you all the time and doubting that voice and doubting the reality of it is doubting God himself and therefore the ultimate sin, you put this in the head of a child and you continue to reinforce it with trauma beatings and, and the rest, this is the, this is, you might as well just rip this right out of the literature on how to drive somebody crazy, how to drive them into a state of mind where they don't any, and by crazy, I mean into a state of mind where they're no longer capable of separating delusion from reality. The reality in front of them and the delusory ideas in their mind have the same level of importance and reality to their ability to perceive the world. And, yeah, I'm saying that this is something that's been going on for centuries and millennia in human history, and there's been a lot of people driven really crazy because of this. This is what we're now understanding about these disorders and about this phenomena and what it does to you. And when it's reinforced with trauma, it is, as you mentioned earlier, it becomes or can become a permanent condition that you're not going to heal from.
1: Well, you're basically inhabiting an alternate reality. Right. Uh, It's not reality what's happening in your head. And you hear voices. And those voices are condemning you. Oh, this thing you're doing, this is a sin. Don't, don't, don't do this. You're taught to believe this is God talking to you. Right. But it's not. It's your parents. <laughs> and these, mm-hmm. you have, everybody has voices in their head. Uh, just a quick side note. One of my favorite uh, things I like to recommend to people is a video uh, of a, of a talk by uh, PZ Myers called, There Are No Ghosts in Your Brain. Mm. And this was really important to me. I studied Mm -hmm. neuroscience in college and learned like how brains work and what the different regions of them do and stuff. And it's like, this was finally enough to tell me like, oh yeah, those voices in my head that are like telling me I'm bad and I'm broken, I'm evil and I'm terrible and all this other stuff that came from somewhere else. That's not well, but it's also just me. Like it's it's in my head, but it's not coming from like God. It comes from my childhood, and I get to reprogram that if I want to.
0: That's right. And, That's right.
1: But yeah, so this is this is the the big mechanism of control is just teaching you this belief system, this false worldview. And I've used different metaphors for it. Like you can say it's a bad mental map or cognitive map. Sure. Right. Like t- and, and and this is just kind of a an abstraction or a metaphor or an allegory to describe what our reality is. But like, you know, if you want to go hiking in the mountains, you need a map. Mm -hmm. You should, you're going to drive cross country. You need some kind of map of the territory. It's a representation of the territory that helps you make sense of it and where Mm -hmm. you're at and where you're going. Mm -hmm. And so religion gives you a bad mental map. Another way to put it is religion is buggy software on your hardware. So like you're a hardware as a human meat suit and growing up, what you're taught is the software that's programmed into your hardware and religion gives you bad software. That's giving you the wrong outputs. It's filtering the inputs through the wrong kinds of algorithms and giving you bad outputs. (laughs) There's, a, there's many different ways to look at this situation.
0: Sure, sure. No, no, absolutely. Of course there is. I wonder, I want to ask you a question. I don't want to, you know, just argue or contradict you, but I do, but I am, I'm curious about your response to this thought I'm having about um, the, you said the basis of this or the basic, the most fundamental aspect of this is the inerrancy of the Bible, right? And that the Bible is the, is the core key concept of this whole thing, And yet with two by two, there's an additional layer, and this is not unique to two by two by any stretch of the imagination. I'd argue this is the case for most religion, in fact, is it's not only the existence of a book, which is supposed to be symbolized and idolized as inerrant, but how do we experience that through interpretation, through another human being or group of human beings? And in your case, it was the worker's. Coming right. around and telling you what it says. And in fact, for two by twos uniquely, it's that part of the experience that is the most religious or holy part of the experience, if I've if I've understood this correctly. So yeah. does that not play a key part in this as well?
1: Um yeah, it actually does. Mm-hmm. And this I mean, this plays a key part in a lot of mm-hmm. Other denominations of mm-hmm. Christianity too. It's Absolutely. like, sure, the Bible is our authority, and the preacher man knows how to interpret it correctly. So you Correct. just listen to him do it for you. This is very common. Yep. I mean, this is this is even Catholic Church does this. The Mormons, every every group does this. It's like, yeah, sure, we we give the nod of some authority to the Bible, and like for example, the Catholic Church is like. Not just the Bible, but, you know, these other documents and other stuff and church tradition and all this. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it is coming from the mouth of a human. That's right. Delivering what they the message they want to give you.
0: That's right. Because if it was if it was a simple matter. Just a, This is just a logic argument. It's just a logic trap, whatever. It's, I, it's just thoughts I'm having. But I'm just thinking about you know the source of the problem. And I harp often on this point. Uh, so I want to harp on it again, which is that the people who can tell you, who interpret your perceptions, who interpret what you're supposed to think or think about or carry away from an experience are the ones who control you. Because their interpretation of the event is what you then accept as your version of reality. You perceive something. Something happens to you, whether it's an awe experience, a euphoric experience, a, a beating, whatever it is that happens. And somebody tells you this is what that experience means. And that's where... If we buy into that interpretation, and we don't always. Sometimes we go, you're crazy, you're full shit. I'm not, but that's not true. That's not what happened. But if we buy it, and often we do, that person now controls our thinking to that degree. And that can be used in a good way, but often, and especially in abusive cults, it's used in a knowing, premeditated way to control you. And I want to break that down for people because I want them to understand that a book is a book. It's what you do with it and how you're told to think about it that causes all the trouble, <laughs> if I may. Uh, but that's my thinking on it. I wanted to get your feedback on my my view of that.
1: It is true to a great extent. Yeah, I I agree. Like okay. yeah, okay. If someone. And this is very Orwellian too. I think mm. this kind of came out in in 1984, for example. Mm-hmm. Was, you know, whoever can interpret reality for you is giving you what reality is. Like there's right. functionally no difference for your brain between reality and what you believe reality to be. That's right. right? That's <laughs> right. Exactly. So whoever can control your reality and control how you see things is is going to uh control a great deal of you and your behavior, uh, your, your information, your time, your energy, your emotions. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That
0: was my biggest takeaway from all the work and, and looking I did at neuroscience was there's the perception and there's the interpretation of the perception. <laughs> and those two things are not the same thing. And I and I was absolutely fascinated by that because when you look at it through a lens of control and what cults do, or manipulators do, right, it suddenly makes total sense. The brain's operating exactly the way it's supposed to, but they're kind of slipping in the middle of that process and going, ah, what you saw isn't this; it's this. What you heard isn't this; it's this. And you go, oh, really? Oh, okay.
1: And exactly. now you're and
0: now you're in another reality. You know exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah. Another another one of my favorite metaphors I was just reminded of is mm. um uh the God virus by mm. Daryl Ray. I don't know if you've interviewed him. I
0: have interviewed Daryl Ray. He's a great guy. Yeah. What what's what's the uh, what's the point that's coming to mind for you?
1: Wonderful. Uh well he he describes religion as basically kind of like a brain virus, mm. or and I guess Richard Dawkins has described this as a mimetic uh Uh, virus or whatever but religion can take over your brain and cause the the human organism to behave and think in different ways than it otherwise would without that particular worm or virus in there um i think that i think that in a sense like are you you familiar with like the cordyceps fungus that can take over the brain of ants and and just like that like i realize this is a metaphor but like if you really drill into it a meme is a thing that takes on a life of its own Mm-hmm. You know, belief systems—they have a life of their own. They can pass from host to host. You know, parasitically.
0: <laughs> There's a that's a that's a framing device. I, I I find it an interesting one, and I certainly have contributed to conversations talking about religion that way. I I only push back now to the degree that I see that there is utility in religion and that there are social aspects of religion that are in our current state of being at least are necessary. Um, or serve a function that nothing else seems to be serving yet. Not to say that something else couldn't step up and serve that function, but to date it hasn't happened. But that all being said, we're talking. And of course my show is a lot more about the dark side of this and where things go really, really wrong. And, and when they go wrong, they go really wrong, even overwhelmingly wrong, where it can appear that there's nothing good about this thing. And I, It's taken me a lot of years to come around to that way of thinking without having faith myself, I am not a believer, or and without excusing or using that utility, that social utility that religion has to justify or rationalize the abuses because they're not okay and there's no reason for them to be okay. And where academia falls down is they don't, there are too many people in academia who don't see it that starkly and honestly and i'm and i'm always uh bothered by that
1: so oh okay um religious fundamentalism tends to find itself aligned very closely with conservative politics Mm -hmm. in the u.s Mm -hmm. um and this has been a bi-directional causality kind of thing you know Mm -hmm. we know how uh, the, the religious right adopted abortion as its central issue after Roe v. Wade to use for political power and get people to vote Republican and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And
0: it was very, how far down the rabbit hole have you gone on that by the way?
1: Oh, way further than I want to talk about.
0: Okay. (laughs) Did you, did you get to the class segregation part where it, it started with that? Not Roe v. Wade? And how the Christian nationalists and, and oh, uh, evangelicals yeah. used to not have a problem with abortion?
1: Yeah, yeah. I actually just finished reading Andrew Seidel's book, uh, American Crusade. Okay. Yeah. So oh. yeah, I got fully filled in on that one. And- I haven't.
0: I've interviewed him twice, but I haven't read that book. But I've done other study that led me down that rabbit hole. And oh yeah, yeah. It was quite. Uh, what the fuck? <laughs>
1: <Right>? <laughs> no, yeah, for sure. You know, there's there's this huge amount of overlap for another way, too. And it's like when I was still in the church, someone introduced me to Rush Limbaugh. Oh, I started getting into that. And then, you know, pretty soon, like I was listening to Alex Jones every day. Oh, I was down the same rabbit hole as a Scientologist. (laughs) Yeah, well, they. they, they talk to you in the same language that you're already used to. They talk about God and and higher ideals and morality and all this other kind of stuff. Yeah. It's language that you're already has a considerable overlap with fundamentalist Christianity. Yeah. True that. True that. Um, and then they, then all they have to do is tell you that Democrats are, you know, devil worshiping, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then that colors your whole view of politics and America and, Everything that's all right. at once.
0: That's right, because we're because yeah. Anyway, there's a lot of and a lot of reasons for that. So that's so there's that angle as terms of why you feel religion is is contributory to uh, or more more bad than good.
1: It's dangerous. Yeah. Um, yeah. To to harken back to your to your previous point about like, well, you know, can religion have any function? Yeah, in a sense, it can have a function. Like for a lot of people their church is their social group it's where mm-hmm. they meet with people they know on a regular basis and humans need this mm-hmm. this is a very deep seated primal human need is to connect with others to have a tribe to have a group to have friends and so and a lot of people you know their living lives or dies by their social network
0: that's right that's exactly right. So, status status is not a, an option in a human existence.
1: But as you and I know, there's ways to create these communities without religion.
0: Oh, there are, but not for everybody. And that's where the problem comes. Is some people well, won't go a secular route ever. And that's that becomes a problem for secular minded people because we can't reach them.
1: Well, people people find other kinds of communities too, like one mm-hmm. thing about the world as it is now is people might find that social community among gamers whether it be video gamers or tabletop games it might be through you know star trek conventions it might be through uh, music or sports or uh, people find ways to make these communities um, for themselves without the religion
0: they do but they don't find communities that answer or address or deal with existential issues Mm. and that's something that Star Trek conventions, and I absolutely agree with you. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not in any way pushing back on what you just said. You're right. We do find social uh, connection through lots and lots of different ways, but there are only so many ways that we find social connection on a few very key emotional needs, existentialism being one of them, morality being another one, our moral foundations, and finding common ground on that. Uh, we don't look to... You know, our more social, you could say, social groups, right? Our 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 hobby groups, our our friend groups, our, our our other groups are not the basis of our moral foundations or our existential beliefs. And that's where religion tends to dominate.
1: Yeah, it kind of it kind of gives people easy answers.
0: Exactly. And there are and there's a great many people out there who I have found seem to not exist somehow in some atheist heads. And and, and this is not directed again, this is not to you, but we're, we're both part of a secular group where this is an attitude that is expressed often is you don't need God to be good and you don't need, you know, God as a moral foundation and you're right. You don't, but there are people who do. And I don't know that we can so easily just get around that by saying, "Well, yeah, but
1: you well, know what I mean." The world there's also a lot of uh, atheists out there who used to believe, and they used mm-hmm. to believe they needed those things mm-hmm. until they didn't.
0: <laughs> well, no, that's absolutely right. But what did they give up exactly? Did they give up their moral foundations, which were based on that? Not really. Well, I mean, what I did they
1: change?
0: Right? Oh no, absolutely. And some people change radically. So did I. My moral foundations yeah. are completely different after my so-called conversion experience or deconversion experience. Right? Um, it, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting conversation to have, and one that I would like to have with you in more detail off mic because I think it might go too off the beaten path for what we're trying to cover in this podcast. Um. If that'd be okay with you,
1: absolutely. Okay, and great. I'm I'm happy to come back too.
0: Absolutely, no. I'm. This is this is a, as you can see, this is a topic I've given some thought to, and I'm keen to discuss with other uh, other people in the secular community because I don't feel I've spoken with some about this and get general agreement with what I'm talking about, but not broad agreement. It's hard for it's hard for the secular community as a whole to embrace the fact that other people aren't like them. And just cause they're a certain way doesn't mean other people are or ever will be. And that's, that's the part of divergence I think that I run into with people. Cause I used to think the same way. And then I did a lot more psych study and it's like, oh yeah, just cause I want to project myself onto the world doesn't mean the world wants me doing that, you know, which is an interesting, uh, anyway, I find it endlessly fascinating.
1: Yeah, I always have to figure out like how much should I say you know um, one of the things I've found in secular community is that uh, there, there's almost like a 50-50 split and there's mm. there's it's this is not 100% of the people but there's, there's people who were deeply traumatized by religion
2: mm-hmm.
1: and have stories like mine and then there's people who've never been in religion mm-hmm. they were raised completely secular and then like when people like me or like you tell them our stories about like what we went through and what we experienced, they're like, What?
0: <laughs> right. Exactly. Because they're because their eyes are open to a level of abuse they never imagined possible.
1: Well, that, but uh, yeah, it's it's hard for people to imagine that have grown up with some sense of like normal reality. To visualize what it's like to live in a completely alternate reality, and then for them to further realize that a lot of people they've interacted with in their lives live in that completely alternate reality—that's exactly
0: just, that's exactly what I've been spending the last decade trying to educate the public about.
1: It's a huge trend, and <laughs> I, I one of the episodes of yours that I listened to was about your exit from Scientology, yeah. and it's just like. It's incredible that, and to, to hear, to hear you and other former Scientologists talk in your lingo is really a trip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hope we didn't ARC break you too much with. <laughs> I, I'm honestly fascinated by all of it. Like, so. Yeah. I mean, okay. So here's another part of my story, right? Yeah. I didn't. I didn't actually become an atheist until 2015, sometime, mm. and that was after I read Richard Dawkins's book, The God Delusion. Mm-hmm. And the chapter that hit me the hardest was the one about childhood indoctrination. Mm. And it talks about how, like, little kids, and this is born in, born and raised in cult kids, like this is your entire worldview Mm -hmm. you obey your parents you listen to your parents and little kids are sponges they're Mm -hmm. not critical thinkers
2: Mm
1: -hmm. and if if mommy says don't go down by the river there's crocodiles like you better listen because like it's for your own good and then by this same mechanism of you being a little sponge that's how religion takes over your brain and that's how this happens and it's like oh wow and then this profound realization hit me where well, the only reason I ever believed in a God in the first place was because everyone around me did. Right. My whole, my whole family, my whole social circles, my whole everyone I knew believed in this. And even when I went to public schools later, it's like you hear talk of it all the time: God, this and Jesus, that. Mm-hmm. It's like you just assume it's real, and it's real to you for that reason and coming to that realization that this is why I believe this and I did not have good reasons to actually believe this like I kind of I kind of went into like a week-long panic attack at that point
0: yeah I get that I totally everything
1: everything before me in my life that I ever thought I knew is wrong it's suspect it's my whole life up to this point has been going the wrong direction. All of this stuff just came. My whole world came crashing in at that point. Mm -hmm. And that's when I realized that, you know, not only did I have to not have to stay in the closet as a queer person anymore, I can, I get to live my life and on my own terms, Mm -hmm. but also now I have no reason to be scared of higher education. And in fact, I should probably go get some so I could do something with my life all of that, that led me to study psychology mm-hmm. when I started in college. And one of the first classes I took in, in well, it was, it was my second semester. I took intro psych classes my first semester, and that was hugely informative. I had a lot of realizations at that point. And then I hit an introductory neuroscience class my second semester. And that's when I learned like how different regions of the brain perform different functions and stuff. And that's how I learned to understand that, you know, these voices that condemned me in my head, these were, these are just background chatter. This is just brains doing brain stuff and it's not real. (laughs) And so that's profoundly important. And then I, I ended up getting a job as an intern in a behavioral preclinical neuroscience lab. And behavioral meaning the connection between brain structures and brain chemistry and behavior yep. and preclinical meaning we test on non-human subjects Um. and in the case of the lab that I worked in this was primarily rats and I have right here a rat this brain a rat, this is a rat brain if yep. my camera will focus maybe it, maybe it doesn't want to let's try this Anyway, that's the idea. So that's the brain of a rat. It's very small, but it has, you know, rats being mammals and us being mammals, it has a lot of similar structures to human brains, except a lot smaller. And uh, another thing about the evolution of brains over time is they've kind of evolved from the the inside to out. Like, so down on the inside of our brains, down toward the brainstem are the much more primitive structures. Um, right. And then out toward the front, up here, is our frontal lobes, and this is the most recently developed structure in mammalian brains, and also the folds, the the complexity of the cortex is is a more recent evolution. So this detail will never show up from this brain, but if you zoom in and look, the cortex of a rat brain is very smooth; it doesn't have all the all the gullies and stuff in it, and those actually add to brain connectivity. And right. It, possible more thinking well anyway down toward the brainstem barely off the brainstem is a region of the brain called the amygdala Mm -hmm. and this region of the brain is what stores fear and pain and i had this this profound realization one time when i was working on an experiment where we were um, teaching rats to be afraid of a certain stimulus by shocking the floor of a cage that they're in so like a mild electric shock kind of like a spark plug wire on a car like it's not going to damage you but it's like that ah. and these rats are in these little cages and we we give them the stimulus and then we shock them so we're training them to associate pain uh with whatever stimulus we're giving them mm-hmm. and you know we can we can later uh remove the brains of these rats and slice them very thin on some lab equipment down to like a few cells thick and we can look at exactly what's happening in the brain in terms of the cells in terms of the chemicals um, neurotransmitters and what exactly is going on in the brain at, after various types of fear stimuli for Sure. example sure. and so we know a great deal about how brains actually work in these cases and and trauma is trauma That's the thing you want to put down to people is trauma is trauma. We have, sure, we have physical abuse of children, but there's also psychological abuse of children Mm -hmm. using stories that are completely imaginary. And the thing is, is you can, you can completely imaginary events can trigger the same fear response in your body Mm -hmm. Like if you, if you encounter a stimulus that your amygdala has said, mark this for later, this hurts us. And then your brain recognizes this input from your, you know, auditory or visual systems or whatever triggers that fear memory. And then off goes your, your, uh, hpa axis your hypothalamic pituitary axis where your uh fight or flight response is this is the sending off the adrenaline and and, uh cortisol over long-term stress and such right and this mm -hmm. completely imaginary things like god are placed into your brain as a child in this at the same time that fear of parents is establishing itself in you
0: yeah true enough and all and all all true except a couple things. Um, thing number one, in the absence of any religious indoctrination, children will naturally come up with supernatural explanations for natural phenomena. As another research, you can look up the literature on it. I I can't sit here and cite it to you right now, but, um, I I guess I could dig it up if I had to, but it's very interesting literature studies done in Japan and other places. I think Sweden, definitely Japan. Um, where young children—I'm talking three to five years old, right—are are are, uh, are surveyed, can you know, are, are are studied on this point, and it was abundantly clear that even in the absence of any religious indoctrination of any kind about God or spirits or supernatural elements, children will simply invent them.
1: Oh sure, and that's yeah.
0: that's not a small point. That's well, that, that's a very important point because that means we are because we're not naturally critical thinkers, we're not, we have to be trained to do it. We will find the first readily, you know, ready explanation for agent agency that we can imagine, even if it's the wind and that's somehow personified or created into a a personification by our ability to, to establish agency at a young age. And I find that absolutely fascinating because it directly contradicts the assertion in the secular community that it's only the product of religious indoctrination when in fact it's, it's not.
1: There's, there's yes and no. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, So it's fair to say that uh, all religions trace uh, all stories of gods. Yeah. And to a, lar- to a more abstract level, all imagined human explanations for natural phenomena trace their way back to our imagination, trying to make sense of the world in That's the right. absence of, of solid information. That's right. And so little kids do imagine imaginary friends. Mm-hmm. Even, if, even if you don't teach them about gods or Jesus or whatever, mm-hmm. oh, they might have an imaginary friend panda or something. Um, this is a thing it's mm-hmm. our brains are trying to make sense of the world around us and explain why things happen that's right. it's the, sort of the higher order thinking of our more evolved parts of our brains our prefrontal cortex and such we're trying to make sense of the world around us and develop our own mental map as we go like that's right part of our learning process and yeah it's not strictly religion that's the only imagined process but religion comes out of that human That's right. imagination That's right. and it also does much more damage than like a normal kid's uh, imagination going wild with them. You might have a kid growing up in a secular home who has an imaginary friend who plays with them at their little, little, uh, imagination tea parties or whatever, but by the time they hit like middle school and have started to learn some science and stuff like that, that goes away. Oh, maybe. <laughs> That's uh, maybe like, it does. Like, how it, many how many adults do you know who have imaginary friends that are not related to religion? <laughs> oh, you might be surprised. <laughs> maybe I, I uh, would. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, only in that
0: I had a I had a decades of experience with people telling me or being exposed to people's. Incredibly intimate secrets over time and over 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 space right in my time in Scientology all those folders of all those sessions tell you more than just their dirty secrets from you know their their torture dungeon they also tell you all about their inner thoughts and feelings and and all of that I learned a great deal about people uh, in Scientology inadvertently um but all that if only
1: people. To make say, stuff
0: up though? No, 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 Not that kind of stuff. I'm talking about present time problems and incidents and things that they have. Um, and, and disassociation, especially in Scientology where it's induced on purpose, uh, can create some very interesting headspaces. and, um, and, and trauma responses include, um, uh, possible, uh, manifestations of, uh, varying degrees of, of multiple personality disorder, for example, it's, you know, it can go extreme to split personalities. I'm not talking about Sybil here. I'm talking about voices in your head and giving credence and, 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 uh, credibility to them. Um, and a lot of people do that. A lot of people do that, (laughs) but they'll assign it to God or something maybe later, but that didn't start that way. You know, that, that kind of thing there's religion is a very multifaceted topic that ha- covers such a wide range of of behavior and and belief that it's 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 difficult for me to talk honestly about it in such broad general terms. Uh, it's good. It's bad. It's right. It's wrong. It's it's all of these at once, depending completely on the context and having Immersed myself in for years in the negative side of it. I have to take pains to say these things, not only because I'm trying to have a debate, but because I'm trying to point out that we can harp on the bad so much that that's all we see. And we never look at the good that it does and there is good that it does and organizationally and individually and behaviorally. And we can't negate that because we're so outraged about the abuses, which are outrageous and need to be stopped. So that's where I'm coming from on it in a broad sense, if that makes And I hope that makes sense because it's where I've arrived to after 10 years of recovery from this. Cause believe me, when I first got out, I was fucking fuck religion and I'm still fuck religion in many, many ways. I hate organized religion and I hate what they do, but there's a need being met with religion that atheism is never going to catch up to. And that's what I, that's what I think right or wrong, good or bad. That's what I think.
1: No, that's totally okay. And yeah, absolutely. Don't even apologize for pushing back on anything I say. I'm not,
0: Oh, world. I just want you to know where I'm coming, coming from. from. Fair enough.
1: Yeah.
0: Anything, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it is. It is very complex, and it's very hard to separate out. You know what from what? Like I know, I know people in more liberal Christian churches, for example, who are very good people. Yep. Um, uh, Unitarians, for example, that's one yep. religion that doesn't yep. seem to do a whole lot of harm and does quite a bit of good that's so
0: it's so funny because my because my stepmom is unitarian and my grandmother-in-law is a young earth creationist got the whole spectrum right there in my family you know
1: (laughs) yeah it's wild. it's just it's it's wild it is i think the i think ultimately the only antidote is uh learning about neuroscience yeah learning what our brains actually look like and do and how they function yeah and how you know how we're really not that much different than the neanderthals and homo erectus and stuff that we evolved from like, that's right that's <laughs> we're, right we are apes we are apes and everything about us and our behaviors today can be understood in that context
0: yep I, this is where, this is the lesson I learned through Robert Sapolsky rather than neuroscience, but it involved neuroscience as well as the rest of human behavioral biology. He did a whole, um, do you know who Robert Sapolsky is?
1: Yes, I actually, uh, yeah, I've, I've seen awesome. quite a bit of his uh Oh, videos. good,
0: good, good. Yeah, he did a whole Stanford University college course on human behavioral biology, and it's all online, <laughs> all the lectures, yeah. like 27 of them or something. I've gone through that thing twice. I want to go through it again. It's, it was it was it was uh, epiphanal. It was it was absolutely uh, crucial to my understanding of how how our, our our thinking and our beliefs and everything work.
1: Yeah, our brains are our our brains are just you know evolved over millions and hundreds of millions of years to keep us alive. That's basically what they do, and right. we can be fooled very easily because their brains are not computers with logic in them. We, That's right. We take in what's around us and we interpret it and in, in a way, we just try to make sense of it.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And how we and then, go about doing that is sometimes pretty goddamn goofy and other times genius. It's it's amazing what the same brain can even do in that in different contexts, you know? It's absolutely fascinating. Uh, Let's get back to the podcast because I want to ask you two other questions and I want to see about wrapping up our recording. Okay. Sounds good. Okay, good. All right. Um, Because I am genuinely curious about how this happened. And you just, you talked a bit about education here. How did you wake up to this whole thing being the wrong thing that it is, despite it being your normal for so many years growing up, what was your path out of this? I don't even want to say light bulb moment. Cause at least for me, it's not one thing. It's a number of things, but what, what happened to you?
1: It is a number of things. Um, mm-hmm. I can point to a few light bulb moments, mm-hmm. uh, the, the first one I already talked about, which was the, the book that went around that talked about the sect that I came from yeah. and kind of exposed its history and stuff. Um, and not long after is when my family got kicked out of the church and I just kind of went on about life. After that, without really thinking much more about it, like I should have been in therapy, honestly, mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of therapy, but I wasn't. And but at least my family never went to another church again. And so I just went on about life as whatever normal normal is.
0: May I May I interrupt you to ask, what was it that got your parents kicked out? They did not leave of their own accord.
1: Well, it was, the it, it was related to the divorce and remarriage issue. And oh. my, my dad speaking up about that and, okay. and they basically said, well, you either shut up about that or, you know, we're like, t- we'll take your meeting away. And, and my parents were like, well, okay, we're done. Like we just left. Wow. Was that
0: sad. was the, that was the moral transgression. That was the, that was the difference that just
1: put it there for them. Just, oh, well, okay. Then we're done. Yeah. Wow, yeah, they, they heard they heard enough people's stories to know. Okay, that, you know, sometimes divorce and remarriage was necessary, and it was not right the way that the church was treating people.
0: Right. How and, did um? I'm surprised that that book was allowed to be read inside that group. Did were there no strictures about that?
1: Oh, there were. They they told people not to read it.
0: Okay, but people didn't uh, listen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some people don't listen to those kinds of things <laughs> right.
0: right. Well, it's funny how it's funny how the deepest indoctrination, the the, the most you know that sometimes the person that you never imagine would go against the grain. If you present them with a mystery or you tell them there's something they're not allowed to know, sometimes that all by itself will just, it's like a splinter in their mind. You
1: know, they just can't let it go. its a, I have well, this to was, know, What are you talking about? You know? Yeah, this was for a lot of things. Yeah. Like I was told, you know, we were not supposed to watch TV, but I would watch TV if I went to a friend's house. I would. I was not supposed to listen to worldly music, but I listened to worldly music on the school bus if a friend had a walkman, and right. you know I got introduced to all the all the good stuff. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so technology was as much the
0: doing of this thing than as anything else.
1: Yeah, I retained a healthy skepticism of everything I was supposed to avoid. Okay, you know, like yeah. or about the rules of the things I was supposed to avoid, and the whole divorce and remarriage thing, like. I knew enough about what was going on with my parents and the stories they knew. And like I knew enough of that to know that, well, they were in the right on this particular issue and the church was in the wrong. So mm-hmm. I was done with that church at that point. It was several years later, into my early 20s, I think, I found a book called um, The Age of Reason by Thomas Paine. You a know, good book. But, <laughs> yes. Yes, and he he basically tears the bible apart mm-hmm. and explains what a what a pot steaming dumpster fire that is. Mm-hmm. And I read Candide by Voltaire and, you know, other things along the way and I was always interested in hearing about other people's religions too, co-workers, people I met randomly. And it's like, they want to tell me about their religious beliefs or whatever. And boy, did I hear about a lot of different religious beliefs. Like I heard about everything from like Pentecostalism to voodoo to, you know, to Satanism to whatever. And I just kind of, I just take it all in. Tell me your story. What's your story? And I, I would ask questions. Well, what do you think about this? Well, how big is the universe? Well, what does this do for you or or whatever? And gradually, you know, over, over this time, I'm sort of developing an idea that organized religion is just all bullshit. <laughs> all of it. All of it. Everybody's got their own ideas. And the, 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 the story that I like to tell is about the blind man trying to describe an elephant. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one touches the trunk and says it's a a snake and another touches a leg and says it's a tree and another one touches a tail and says it's a rope or whatever. Like it's everybody's just trying to describe a little bit of the world in a context that they understand because their senses are limited.
0: Right. That's right. right. I could I could not agree with you more about that.
1: So I ended up going through various different iterations of like spiritualism and Wicca and agnosticism and stuff like that. But I would still occasionally get panic attacks thinking, oh, God's watching me. Like, And I'm not, you know, I'm not, I don't know if you noticed, but like not exactly cisgender, heterosexuals, biblical, biblical morality lifestyle. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't notice that. I didn't notice that. Thanks for pointing that out. Yeah. So I always have these voices going off in my head, head, condemning me for being broken and wrong and what's wrong with me. And like, you know, fortunately I didn't come across like conversion therapy or stuff like that, but, uh, I did run across the writings of a guy named Ray Blanchard, which really sent me down a deep, dark spiral. And maybe we can talk about that later. But, Mm -hmm. um, that it wasn't, it wasn't until 2015 when I read Dawkins's book that like I went from athe- agnostic to atheist. Like that's when I realized this whole stuff is the only reason I ever believed in this God stuff to begin with. And this is this is not true either. This fundamental assumption is not true. It's like there might be some greater power out there in the universe beyond human understanding. Maybe that's true, mm-hmm. but there is no human being on Earth who has access to any more information about that than I do. There you go, or then science does, right? That's right. If anybody's going to figure this out, it's science, and so I can wait on science. And that's when it hit, and that's when like everything behind me just became, you know, that that crazy life flashing before my eyes kind of thing. Um, Jean-Paul Sartre uh, describes this as nausea. Mm. You just go through this nausea, like you've been abandoned. Because here you believe that there was this God always with you, wherever you were, even if you're by yourself, you can always reach out to God. Now you find yourself abandoned completely. There's no God there. Like it's this is a majorly intense experience.
0: I understand. Yes, very much so.
1: But that was the that was the formative um, experience for the life I'm living now. Basically,
0: got it. Well, thank you, thank you for sharing that. I'm I'm always interested in how how it happens with people because um, often it's some kind of series of uh, I've described it as moral transgressions or like 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 irrefutable, undeniable something happens that you just can't cognitive dissonance your way through. And for your parents, apparently that was this divorce issue and probably preceded by other things before that, you know, and it builds and builds and builds until for that context of that person and their belief set, they go, nope, this ain't it anymore. And, um, and they have these, these moments and
1: sometimes I like the mm -hmm. Mormon way of talking about it. It's like when you have doubts or questions, you put them up on a shelf. And then at some point you put too much stuff up on the shelf and the shelf breaks.
0: Oh, how interesting. How interesting. Let me... i uh, Just because it's so parallel, I have got to share this with you because I think the I think the audience will appreciate this too. Um, because I thought you were going to go somewhere else with that. And I'll tell you why. is because uh, somebody made that exact same analogy to me in Scientology, except... Instead of, you know, you take your worries, you take your concerns, you take your problems, your issues, the things you're upset about right now, you put it on a shelf. You got to get your job done, right? No case on post is the Scientology thing. And case is the word for all your trauma, all your junk, all your emotional baggage and everything. And and auditing in Scientology is where you're going to take care of that. You're not going to take care of that in conversation. You're not going to take care of that. Otherwise, you got to go in session. So until you go in session, you got to learn how to chill that stuff out. So you put it on a shelf, You put it on a shelf, you put it on a shelf. And what I was told is that in the course of your duties as a Scientology staff member, helping other people with the stuff they're putting on their shelves, you finally get in session to deal with all your bullshit on your shelf and you go up to get it and it's not there anymore because you poofed it. You made it all go away because you were being so causative in your work, in your day to day, that you were just making all that go away all in the background. There's a, yeah,
1: that <laughs> just, just exactly. share
0: just cause you made me think of it with the shelf thing. Yeah. I, I thought I would share well, I, that difference in experiences there. You know,
1: that's a perfect way to talk about the whole like abuse scandal that's going on in the two by twos right now.
0: And this yeah. is what I wanted to go to and wrap up on. So please tell me what happened. What is this thing?
1: Great. Um, yeah. So like, uh, one of the things I've seen in the, in the forums online is that people have a lot of people have kind of known that something's been going on for a long time and there've been people sending out mass letters and stuff on the internet for a couple of decades now being like, listen to me. I was abused. I was raped by this person. Like they're trying, they're trying everything to be heard Mm -hmm. and nothing's happening and nothing's happening. And like, the, the people in the group, the friends are like, well, we're praying and praying for something to be done about this. We're waiting for God to do something about it. And the workers, you know, this is coming from the workers and from the overseers too, is like, well, you know, we're going to, we're going to pray for this to be taken care of in God's way and in God's time and stuff like that. And it's kind of the similar thing is like, well, just ignore what's happening right now and just set it aside, you know, and what's happening in this case is like it's not being set aside quite so much anymore. The workers are still preaching that you should set it aside, and people are still believing that you should set it aside and pray about it. But there's more people realizing that that's not working. All right. And the only thing that really matters is humans standing up and taking human actions. Like you can't <laughs> obviously once you once you become atheist, you realize that like prayer doesn't do anything, right? Like there's there's nothing there to help anyone do anything and in this case what happened with the the recent uh the overseer situation is this guy died in a hotel room and there was some mess left behind basically in terms of uh laptops and phones and material and and uh incriminating evidence and victim statements and stuff like that so there's all this stuff and then it gets out and they can no longer be like well you know just put it up on your shelf or just pray about it. It's like, no, people are like, all right, we've had enough. We're taking action. And people within the group are like, they're leaving, they're walking out and they're making statements. Like the the, the farm properties where the annual conventions are typically held, owners of those properties are going, well, where I live, I have legal liability if someone gets molested on my property. Like mm-hmm. you either you need to either set some rules down and enforce them or you're not going to meet on my property anymore.
0: Right. They're getting the reverse of what they've been pushing on other people for a while now of this. Uh, oh, no, no. you We're, we're not going to have our meetings here. Now they're being told, no, you're not having your meetings here. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Let me, um, are... let me clarify for, for the audience here. This is I'm reading from the Wikipedia page about the two by twos. You can look it up there. And there is a note here about this thing called the Dean letter, which is, I think, what we're referring to here. This is this year. This is March 20th, 2023. A letter was released from overseer Doyle S. Smith informing members of the discovery of predatory and sexually abusive behavior by recently deceased worker and overseer seer dean brewer is that he say his name correct yeah and um since that release hundreds of allegations hundreds of allegations this is not a big group hundreds of allegations of sexual abuse and child sexual abuse to have been reported within the church from all over the world members have been split in their reactions as you were just describing
1: almost 600 reports now to the to the tip lines yeah and this is a group that is maybe a hundred thousand worldwide right
0: so and, the percentages here are way off guys way yeah off. and
1: i like and and some of these names on these lists are people that i remember coming through our house in childhood yeah, yeah. like yeah. my uh, because my parents were former workers and had status and extra guest bedrooms and stuff like that like we always had workers in our house like all the time and yeah. some of them were those were those people
0: Jesus, this is just, it's, and and of course, like I mentioned earlier, when we were talking about the framework of this and how this, and how this is structured with the workers and the overseers and the, and the, the itinerant ministers walking, you know, going from place to place, you, you put that much power and authority in people where their verbal orders are the law and you put them in front of, you know, and then you give them a enforced life of celibacy, which these People apparently are supposed to be abiding by, right? Correct. Yeah, and then you put them in with kids, and well, we know what happens. It's this this group is not the only one where that occurs. And, well, yeah, it
1: goes. You know, yeah, it goes back to that that those biblical ideas of sexuality, in other right. words, which are really terrible, and there's yeah. no education no consistent education as to what consent is like consent is a word that is never spoken in a meeting anywhere like children having bodily autonomy well that's automatically out because like that does away with corporal punishment too if you teach that's that right. children are supposed to have bodily autonomy the whole system is is broken or maybe broken by design
0: well it, it's, it, a stu- it's a control
1: it's a control structure it, yeah. And it's such that it yeah. causes these problems. That's like right. the system creates the predators and it shields the predators from accountability. Exactly. I, it's like, did you ever see the movie spotlight? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There, One thing that really, really hit home for me was that one priest that was just, just like so naive and innocent that didn't seem to understand like what even was wrong. Like, and you can see how this happens someone grows up kind of isolated and in a very primitive religion and a primitive world view and they don't understand any of the modern issues around uh, you know bodily autonomy consent healthy sexuality there's no one modeling healthy sexuality for them and naturally these things are the outcomes that are inevitable
0: exactly they are inevitable that is the right word to use this is not this is not like a few bad apples this is a systemic problem
1: yes the barrel is rotten that's right that and every barrel on the truck that they're riding on is rotten like every every denomination of christianity is rotten in in this same way the systems create the abuse and perpetuate it and they can't be fixed
0: Fair enough. I, um, I believe that there are perhaps modifications that could assist things, but I agree that there seems to be a very, there are very big problems with a belief set. This is as far as I'll go with this. And this is my criticism of for, for today. And we'll kind of leave it at this, I think for, for, because we've already been talking for so long. Um, There's a problem with any belief set that's going to treat women and children as property. And when we talk about a systemic issue, at least from my perspective, that's unavoidable when you get into most Christian denominations. I know for a fact there are some that do not think that way, but that's actually not, if you go to the scriptures, that's what's there. (laughs) It's not like it's hard to figure out why these people think this way, they're their quote unquote good book tells them to think this way that women are chattel, that children are property, that they are animals to be beaten on and broken. And this is the modern. That the modern rendition of this is Gothards and the duggers and the evangelicals and the extreme Pentecostals and this nonsense that we see in Two by Two, where the most extreme interpretations of these scriptures are reality to these people. And they do not in any way fit in with, as you pointed out correctly, how we've evolved as a society. It's not just we have these stupid ideas in our modern culture and eventually all those will go away and we'll get back to the good stuff the way it's supposed to be. That's how they think. And that's, that's wrong. That's, that's anti-evolutionary. It's anti-progressive. It's, it's, it's backwards thinking and that's to the degree it continues to, insist on its rightness is the, is where we keep bumping into it in society where we're going, no, you don't get to do that to children anymore. No, your women, your wives are not your property and they don't have to listen to every single commandment you give them. They actually have free will. What? They can't deal with this. And that's where we get such a departure. And when they go too far, we talk about them as cults. And that's, well, that's what this is.
1: you know. Well, to some extent, yeah, like the the more liberal sects of Christianity will creatively interpret the Bible to mean something other than what it obviously says. My point,
0: exactly. Like exactly. they
1: interpret it through the lens of social justice, for example, and that's great. I yep. appreciate those people, the people that put the rainbow flags outside their church. You know what? That's better than I had it. Growing, if if you got to be indoctrinated into religion, let it be a liberal version of it for, you know, hope, hopefully. Exactly. But the thing is, is like the misogyny and stuff is still there mm-hmm. in the back. It's part of the cultural fabric. It's the water you're swimming in. Mm-hmm. Like one one story that I point to a lot is the story of in it's in Second uh, uh, Samuel 12, I think the story of David and Bathsheba. Maybe, uh, you know, uh, Christians will know this story, but King David, he, he has the hots for his best friend's wife and and is plotting to get her for himself. And so he sends his friend off to die in battle and then he takes the wife. And then God gets very angry with David. And punishes David by having the rest of David's wives raped by someone else in public. That's the punishment for David,
0: right? You because don't know they're anything. his property, and this isn't an, this is an offense against him, right? That's your yeah. attitude.
1: Yes, you don't know any of the wives' names. They are not independent human beings with their own autonomy, their own existence, their own minds. Right. They they don't matter. They are their property, and this is a crime against David's property. Right. And then and then it goes on, right? So it, he makes a baby with Bathsheba. And God again punishes David by killing that baby, as if the baby did something to deserve this punishment. And supposedly David is punished by it. And then after the baby dies, David gets back up and goes on with his life as usual, figuring, well, God's already punished me; all he's going to punish me. So off we go. This it, 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 people can the the sad thing is people can hear this story with a completely different context and get a completely different idea about it. And they'll tell you it's a story about God's love and forgiveness. Right. And they'll never think about what the story actually says in plain words on the page.
0: Exactly, exactly. And that's where we tend to, <laughs> in the secular world, tend to depart from those more prosaic interpretations. <laughs> we go, Hey man, yeah, it's, it's, what are you it, talking just, about? This is just not right.
1: You know, yeah, it's just like the whole thing: men are the boss, women and children are second, right. not important, don't matter. That's that is the prevailing attitude, and it's it's just the cultural fabric of the Bible.
0: Uh, unfortunately, I have to agree with you. Um, unfortunately, because it's uh, how I see it as well. When you look at this through a lens of human rights, and dignity, and free will you see that these are anathema to that, right? They, just con- they clash. They're directly in opposition. And if you think this is a small problem, I'd invite you to go check out Shiny Happy People again uh, you know, or any other number of documentaries about this. This is not a small problem. I've harped on this for years on my channel. I know it really offends some people, and I've taken pains to try to understand the other point of view. I think I've demonstrated that here today. But the fact of the matter is abuse is abuse. And child abuse and spousal abuse is rampant in those communities. I don't care if you agree with me or not, or think that it's somehow offensive that I tell you that it's true. It doesn't mean your personal beliefs, who's you're sitting here listening to this podcast right now are wrong and awful. And I hate you. That doesn't mean that at all. And it's not what I'm saying. Believe whatever you want, but what you do with those beliefs matters. And if what you do with it is use them to abuse people you're on the wrong side of the equation.
1: Well, I like to say, you know, like I can't people like to say, well, you know, let people believe what they want, Mm. but you can't do that because beliefs have consequences. You know, people have to have a belief that you're supposed to physically abuse children in order to make sure they are on the right side of God. This is a, genuine belief that people have and they are acting on that belief with the very best of intentions. Uh, I, I but can't the belief yeah. is not justifiable and the belief is harmful Fair
0: enough, I'm trying to make a differentiation between what goes on in a person's mind versus what they do with their hands and feet because those are two different things. and often a lot of us will have, Uncharitable thoughts and ideas and beliefs, and yet not act on them. And I think that that is true. And I think that is where we can most clearly draw the line for anybody. I think anybody of any denomination, any following, any background can understand that concept. You can believe, you can have the ideas in your head, they can live rent free. I don't care. What I care about is what you do with them. That's that's what I care about, you folks out there, right?
1: Exactly. And but this is a real thing. Like some some thoughts we have in our heads we don't act on, Mm -hmm. and some we do. Mm -hmm. Um, But the belief that children need to be hit in order to behave, this is a belief that is coming from a particular kind of place and culture. Mm -hmm. And it is a belief that expresses itself in harm. Mm -hmm. And it's not usually the case that someone has a belief that children should be spanked and then does not actually do it. Right. No, fair enough. It's just
0: there's also so many non-religious beliefs enabling that behavior, too, that I have a hard time pointing
1: to just that. You know? What yeah, I mean? it's not. It's not just that. Yeah, but it is. It is largely that. It, like, if we were to uncover the source of thinking, um, like if we were to ask everyone in America who thinks corporal punishment of children is okay, we are going to find that the vast majority of them are in an Abrahamic religion of a more fundamentalist sort this is which, we're not major, a bunch which of atheists to hit their kids
0: uh, fair enough but just to push back a little bit right I get it I totally get it and this is me you know sort of uh, bringing nuance where I know it's not particularly the point um, so I, I hear you I really do Um, but we also have to look at the fact that we're the ones selecting that as the variable that matters when in fact familial generational trauma is just as much of a factor. And I, fair enough, you know, you can go to causative agents and go, well, religion is, you know, justifying or rationalizing this and it's wrong to that degree. And I'm, and I completely agree with that, but I have to acknowledge that there is a, you know, there are a myriad of factors at play with this. And I religion would, I, is I, one of many, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, Yeah. Coming from the perspective of a scientist, that is, that is true. There's not, it's, you can't isolate very many things down to one single cause. That's, that's very difficult.
0: Yeah. That's, that's all, that's where I come from. Cause I live in the world of nuance and grays. I have to, I have to on my channel. I can't go black and white because that's exactly the thing I push back against. You know uh,
1: like like sometimes i speak in black and white terms but like i also am cognizant of the fact that uh not everything is black and white and exactly. very few things are in fact like i'm 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 out i have an axe to grind
0: <laughs> i know i know and i want to and i want to help you grind it by the way <laughs> i really do so i hope I'm not coming across adversarial here
1: no absolutely and i can handle it anyway like... okay cool <laughs> good 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 um
0: All right. Well, look, we've been talking for a long time and I am very happy to have had this conversation with you. And on that note, I wanted to give you an opportunity to also promote your channel because you've started a YouTube channel and I guess you're going to be starting another one. And I loved your approach because you were, uh, you know, we're going to take these bad ideas out to the woodshed, right? I was like, hell yes. So what is this about and what are you trying to do with this?
1: Well, so this, this, uh, project. My channel is called Rivers Woodshed, and you can find it on YouTube if you search for Rivers Woodshed or just at Rivers Woodshed all all together. Uh, Basically, this grew out of, I I was teaching biology labs when I was in college, and then COVID hit, and we had to transition everything to online. And then I started trying to figure out how to move my whiteboard lectures onto video format. And so I got myself a a graphics tablet and started learning how to make videos, instructional videos and stuff. And then uh, I got this hair-brained idea to create a, a channel where I attack basically fundamentalist Christianity and some of their ideas and just tear them apart. And the, the the guiding principle there is something called Brandolini's Law. And you can find this on on Wikipedia. Brandolini's Law states that um, refuting bullshit takes an order of magnitude greater effort than it takes to create the bullshit in the first place. Yep. Debunking bullshit is an extraordinary amount of work because you can just spout off whatever you want, make up stuff. That's easy to do, but showing why it's wrong. Sometimes there's like 15 wrong things in one sentence and you go from there. So that's kind of my my principle that guides what I do with that show. My next upcoming show, I'm not saying too much about yet, but I will announce it on my current channel.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well, I highly encourage you all to go over and check it out. Uh, River's Woodshed. Okay, and subscribe if you have found this conversation to be interesting. And I think you'll find the content over there to be interesting as well. Um, Critical thinking is something you really can't quite get enough of in this world, (laughs) because as we've covered here today, it's not something that we just naturally are good at. It's a discipline you have to learn, just like martial arts. You don't come out knowing how to chop boards in half. Well, you're not coming out knowing how to think, or yeah, logically I, and and you know sequentially the way that we would uh, th- that lead to best answers all the time for us. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I've been studying this stuff for years, years, and listening to like thousands of hours of podcasts and studying neuroscience and all that philosophy and everything, and like. I'm still hearing stuff from people's stories that just blows my mind. Yeah. So like, there's no, there's no end to it.
0: No, not at all. Not at all. All right, folks, thank you very much for coming around and listening to us gabber on at a mad rate about all of this. Very much appreciate your viewership and your support. Um go ahead and buy me a coffee uh contribute to my ideal studio wish list the Amazon list is there in the description section to this video down below here if you're watching this on YouTube otherwise if you're listening on audio go to my YouTube channel and uh show me some love over there as well that all being said I'll see you guys next week bye bye